Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. I love that song because, specifically because that chorus, holy, holy, holy. Like, that's what, in heaven, that's what we're going to sing. Like, that's what we read about the angels singing in heaven is standing around God's throne and just going, holy, holy, holy. Like, so I love practicing now. And I love practicing with you guys because it is beautiful. Um, total, like I said, total side note. Before we get going, I'm going to talk about the importance of terms. Has anybody ever used a phone, like a smartphone? Don't lie to me. A computer, anything like that, played a video game. We have all told the same lie in this room, and that is, I have read these terms and conditions. And no, you didn't. Because if you actually, you'd still be reading terms and conditions. It's a bold-faced lie, and we're all in it together. That's important because terms and conditions, what do they do? They tell us what it is we're actually supposed to understand about the thing that we're doing. Terms and conditions are extremely important. And we have to define terms and conditions, not so much conditions, but terms, all the times. We define terms with... Um, has anybody had the experience where you're hanging out on a Saturday morning and somebody comes and knocks on your door? Lovely Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons. Nothing against them. I applaud like going around and knocking on doors. But they want to talk to you about Jesus. That's awesome. I'm happy to talk about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. You want to go get some coffee? You want to come in? How do you want to do this? But it's important to define terms because Let's be realistic. A Mormon and a Jehovah's Witness have a very different definition of the Jesus they want to talk to you about. We have to define these terms. Marriage. If you've ever been married, been in a relationship, then you understand it's important to define terms. You spend the beginning part of most relationships defining terms. Apparently, when my wife and I got married, I referred to a lot of things as blankets. Apparently, a blanket is only something we use to cover up. It is not a towel. It is not a sheet. It is not another word called quilt, which I didn't know existed. These are terms that I had no idea about. So I'd ask my wife, hey, can you go get me a blanket? And she'd bring back a blanket. I'm like, what is this? I'm getting out of the shower. I don't need that. I need the blanket you dry off with. But different words have different meanings, and we have to understand these meanings in order to understand what it is we're looking at. So today we're going to jump in to the beginning of, well, not the beginning, but uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. And the first thing I want to do after we read this is define some terms, because it's important to know what we're looking at and what we're not looking at. So I'll give you a second to turn there. Okay. Okay. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Do not work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way, without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. 
pray with me. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of who you are. I thank you for giving us the opportunity, the privilege, and the responsibility to come together today to, to unfold your word, to unpack it and see the truth of who you are, and then how to walk out that truth, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so what is this not about? Well, we have a very specific American Western context that we live in. So when we read the Bible and we see words like slave, let's be honest, a lot of us all of a sudden start thinking in terms of colonial slavery, American slavery, and the things that happen. When I told my daughter, uh, she asked what I was uh, preaching on this week, and I told her this is where we are. She goes, why? Because to a 17-year-old who's especially learning about a lot of things in history classes, these things jump out, and she's saying, this is hard stuff. We don't want to deal with this. But we don't ever shy away from the truth of Scripture, and we don't ever shy away from what it says. So when we read this, let's be honest, a lot of times that's what we read into it. But these verses are not about colonial or American slavery that happened. To be clear, that was an abomination against God and an affront to mankind and human dignity. That is not what this is talking about. The concept of biblical slavery was really more about servitude and debts than anything else. But yet, that was still a practice that was abused by people. Slaves here is about bond servants. That's a practice that was abused by people. This is not about Paul trying to keep people in their place. This isn't Paul saying that we should have a system where some are haves and some are have-nots, and that that's a good system for the world. That's not what Paul's talking about. It's not an endorsement of slavery. It's an acknowledgement of what was going on in the time. That's what Paul's talking about here. The Bible never shies away from the reality of the world that people live in. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll find that there are times where, uh, it, it, like especially in the book of Leviticus, it talks about what to do when you have more than one wife. But we know that the Bible doesn't promote polygamy. So what do we do with that? We understand that God is not afraid of the reality of a broken world. We understand that he's not scared to address what's actually going on. And an acknowledgement of something and an addressment of an issue is not an endorsement of it. It's an understanding the reality of the world that we live in. So we understand that that's not at all what it's talking about. So we're able to then figure out what is it talking about. Well, what it is talking about is Paul is being extremely counter-cultural here. The Bible is extremely counter-cultural. Because what Paul's talking about here is that he's saying, yes, this system exists in the world, but here's how we operate. Kind of like Pastor Dean talked about last week with family. Here's how we operate within systems that do exist in the world. So masters are not to threaten their slaves, but instead treat them as equals who will inherit the same things from their master in heaven. This is huge, and it can't be understated, because if we understand and you look at church history and what was going on in Rome at the time, then you would see that Christians were accused of being all sorts of things. Like, uh, I think you might have mentioned it last week, but Christians were accused of being atheists because they only believed in one God. Another thing Christians were accused of was trying to break down society in general. They were accused of actually trying to disrupt and destroy society because masters and slaves, servants, would eat together, break bread together, would worship together, would call each other brothers. This was disrupting everything that was going on in the world at that time. And that's what this is. The gospel is something that disrupts the world as we know it. 
And workers, too, were supposed to work as those who were working from a sincere place in their heart, not just to get a reward or not get in trouble. Completely countercultural. And that's what this verse is talking about, it, or these verses. If we really want to dig in and say, okay, we've got this section, and there's some hard things in here, but what is Paul really getting at? What are these verses talking about? Verse 7 is going to be the key to understanding this, that we serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not people. That's what he's after is that he wants us to understand, regardless of your position in life, regardless of where you live in the world, that is the purpose, is that we are to serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not people. Yeah. That's counter-cultural. Let me read this. When the truth of the gospel takes hold of a person, the counterculture nature of the gospel changes that person and their world. And what do we have is when enough of those worlds change, like when my world gets changed and then when uh, your world gets changed and then Nancy's world gets changed and enough of our individual worlds get changed, all of a sudden the greater world around us gets changed. Because first it takes place in us and I understand that regardless of my position in life, regardless of whether I, where I find myself or what I'm doing, I'm supposed to serve Christ with a good attitude. Amen. I'm supposed to serve God. And no matter what I'm doing, I'm supposed to do it as I'm serving the Lord and not people. Then that changes in me, and all of a sudden the way I operate changes, the things I do changes, and then Robert happens, and the things that he does change, and all these things around us change. And then the next thing we know, it's like this, um, it's like uh, ripples, right? Like you throw a rock in, a, in the water and you see the ripples. You throw a couple rocks, and all of a sudden these ripples start to push up against each other. You throw enough rocks in that water, and all of a sudden there's waves. That's what we're called to do. We are called to be disruptors. I think Philippians will help us here. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. It says, adopt the same attitude of that... Sorry, let me start over. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, very important word, instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. So what is Paul talking about? When Paul says... In verse 7 in Ephesians, he says, Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people. And we understand that in all things, Christ is to be our example. Here's our example. is Whatever you've got going on in the world, don't count it for your gain. Instead, humble yourself. Instead, humble as, a, as to the Lord. Instead, pour out yourself. This is known as the kenosis of Christ. There's your big theology word for the day. Two of our theology students already know that one, so they get a pass. There won't be a test later. Don't worry. But that's what we're talking about is emptying out ourselves. That's what the Bible wants us to understand. That's what the gospel wants us to do is learn that that is the attitude that we take is that we pour ourselves out and that when we do that, we serve Christ and not people. Amen. And then it gets easy because let's, let's be honest. If you've ever had a job, there's a good chance you've had a boss you didn't like. I've been a boss people don't like. I would love it if they would choose to serve God and not me. 
I've had to, to work for people that I don't like. And it gets a lot easier to do that when you start to realize I'm serving God, yeah. not you. Yeah. Because then all of a sudden, I'm not worried about fair anymore. Fair isn't a word that I can use in that vocabulary because what's fair is whether or not I'm serving Christ. And it doesn't matter what you're doing. And so that's what I want to spend some time with here is looking at some places and some ways that we serve. And this is not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination. But we've got in the church. We have ways that we serve in the church. Because again, we're going to approach everything we do with this attitude that Jesus had of I'm going to pour myself out and I'm going to be humble and I'm going to serve. So we can do it in the church. We serve in areas. Right? Maybe it's uh, greeting, maybe it's uh, sweeping, maybe it's kids, maybe it's making coffee, maybe it's leading a small group, hosting a small group, whatever. You serve that way. And then all of a sudden, you're not worried about, oh, I'm doing so much more than Jimmy. We don't have a Jimmy. He left. But either way. But you, you're not worried about that. You're like, oh, man, I've been here early. Every day, well, every Sunday, for the past six months, and I don't see anybody else coming in to take the trash out, well, that means you're serving with the wrong attitude. Because if you switch that and you say, Jesus, what would you have me do today? Well, then who cares if you've been here early for the past six months to take out trash and nobody else has? You're not concerned with what they're doing. You're concerned with how you're serving God. And all of a sudden, it doesn't matter anymore. We serve by giving. Yes. Giving, it's okay to talk about. I don't mind. Well, we serve by giving because all of a sudden I'm not comparing myself to anybody else. I'm not saying, oh, I wonder how much they're giving. Should I give more? Or I don't want to give too much because I don't want to make it look like I make too much money. And who cares? You're serving Christ, not people. You're not in competition with anybody else. So I don't care how much somebody else gives. I care how much God's put it on my heart to give. I serve with the right attitude. We serve by not grumbling and complaining. It's easy to do when you serve God. When you understand I'm focused on Christ. If you do like a, um, I had a friend, she decided to do, she wanted to do the speed read through the Old Testament. She's like, I want to get through the entire Old Testament in 30 days. She tore through. I mean, she was reading constantly. There were times where we were actually on a trip. We were driving somewhere, and her husband's driving, and she's sitting in the back seat, and she's like, don't talk to me for the next three hours. I'm behind. And so she puts in her headphones, and she's listening to it while she reads to make sure she doesn't miss anything. And she pauses it in the middle of it, though, and she goes, I can't believe how much the people complained and how much God says, quit complaining. Like over and over in the Old Testament, God says, I hate grumblers. And it's easy to grumble when we look at the world. Like, if you look at your finances and you're not happy, you look at your job situation and you're not happy, you look at your, your work situation, your home situation, whatever it might be, it's easy to complain. It's easy to go, ugh. But that comes from comparisons. And we don't compare if we decide I'm serving Christ and that's my focus, that's my goal, is I want to do what Jesus has me to do in the church. It's easy to not complain when you shift your focus in our relationships, in marriage, we can serve one another as we're serving Christ. It's easy for me to do things for my wife if I'm not expecting something in return from her. Okay, I, it, it's easy to do the dishes 
If my goal is not, oh, I'm going to do the dishes so that she does the dishes, right? We've all done it. Or I'm going to do something really nice for my wife so that she'll do something really nice for me. Well, what's going to happen? She's not going to live up to that expectation that I set for her that she didn't know she had because I was trying to be coy and clever with the way I served her. But no, if I t instead approach it and take what the Bible says that I'm supposed to love my wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, then all of a sudden, I'm not worried about whether she does or does not do something for me. Because what I'm trying to do is show her Jesus. Now, I can't speak about how a woman would do it, so use your own imagination. But in parenting, we can serve our children and we can raise our kids as if we're serving the Lord and not them by always pointing back to Jesus. By, uh, that's things like, and again, these are things, if you really want some, this little section right here, go back and listen to last week's sermon on the podcast and you're going to get all the details. But like in parenting, it's, it's easy to do those things. Like if we mess up, we let our kids know we mess up. I can honestly tell you, my parents never admitted they messed up. Like, ever. And my parents will now tell you they made a lot of mistakes. I was a horrible child, though. Like, just to be honest. But as parents, we can serve Christ, and we can do everything that we're doing as if working for the Lord and not my kids. That also means not putting them before our marriage. That means not raising them in a way where they think they're the center of our universe. Ask any of my kids. We've got multiples, and they will tell you what order our house operates in. Like, if you ask Grace and say, Grace, what's the order of your house? She will tell you, God, Mama, me. Like, that's it. She understands that's the order. But she understands that the order because then she understands that God takes supremacy in everything that we do. In our friendships. Like, friendships are hard. We often have, um, oh, there's a fancy word for it, and I can't think of it off the top of my head, so we're not going to use it, obviously. Um, our friendships oftentimes in the West are these uh, reciprocal relationships. Right, where like I've invited you to dinner, so now you need to invite me to dinner at some point, and it's the way this thing works a lot of times, not all the times, but a lot of times. And it's easy to get frustrated and all of a sudden decide, oh, I don't want to hang out with this person because I invited them to dinner three months ago and they have still not invited me to dinner. Well, guess what? I'm probably not going to invite you to dinner because I am forgetful. But if we're not doing it for that purpose and instead I'm like, you know, I just, I really just want to bless Bill. I'm going to take him to dinner and like see how his family's doing. Like I'm just going to love on him and see how they're doing. Like all of a sudden we're not worried about whether or not we get back because we're not comparing again. We're serving Christ and Christ alone. And it makes it really easy to do that. We can serve Christ at work. Like I said, I have had jobs where I've had bosses where I'm like, this guy is... You've all had that boss. Again, I've been that boss. You get so wrapped up in what you need to get done and the goals that need to be accomplished for the, for the organization and the things that have to be done that you forget about the people and you just start going through the motions and trying to check off lists and get things taken care of. 
but we can be examples and culture setters at work. One of the ways is we're reliable. If we say we're going to do something, we do it. If we say we're going to accomplish a task, we accomplish that task. If we say that we're going to be there on time, then we're there on time. And by the way, if you have a job, you've already said you're going to be there on time. You don't actually have to make that commitment. But like being timely is a way that we serve Christ and set an example to the world around us of who it is we follow. These are all things that we do to just continue to show who it is we follow and what it is that we're doing. By being responsible at work. Like when I first started working, um, well, let's be honest, I wasn't a Christian. Uh, as I've already mentioned, I was a horrible child. I carried that into my work. And I'd find all sorts of excuses to get out of work. I'd quit just because I didn't feel like going to work that day. So what did people start to understand is, he's not a reliable person, he's not a good person, his character is weak, he's got all these problems that go along with him. But when I find Christ and all of a sudden I accept him and I decide I'm gonna do everything as if I'm working for the Lord, people see that and go, hey, there's something different about you, why do you work the way you do? Well, it's easy, I'm not working for you, I'm working for Jesus. You just happen to be the one who pays me. Some of the ways that we work to show that we're, or some, another place that we work to show that we're serving Christ and men is in our community. Now this one gets hard because we can not like where we live sometimes. We can not like the things going on around us. But we can still serve in our community and show that we're serving Christ and not men because we can do things like pick up litter because we're good stewards of the environment. We can be good citizens who vote. I don't care how you vote. But that's a way that we're showing we're serving Christ and not men because I'm gonna care about you enough to, be, uh, to pay attention to the things that are important to our community. We can be good neighbors. Like a good neighbor, stay firm is there, right? Like a good neighbor, the church is there, right? We can be good neighbors. Dean and Laura have moved into their money pit. Uh, in the midst of that, though, he is constantly giving us examples of how he's trying to be a good neighbor to the people around him. Like, it would be easy, and I'm going to brag on Dean for a minute, because it would be easy for him to just sulk and be like, this sucks. I'm not leaving the house, except to go out and get stuff for the house. But other than that, I'm not doing it. My life is in shambles. I'm so angry. I got dealt a bad hand. This is all frustrating and annoying. He could do that. I don't think any of us would blame him. We'd be like, understandable. Kind of stinks for you. But instead, Dean has constantly been giving us good examples of how to be a good neighbor. We're over there the other day, and he's talking. He's like, I'm trying to think of a way to... to get a little closer to this neighbor over here. I really feel like I can, I can help them see God a little bit better. God's been putting them on my heart. That's because he's serving God and not man. And so it's easy to be a good neighbor. That can be things like letting somebody borrow your power tools. More importantly, returning power tools that you have borrowed. But when we do this, in order to accomplish this, in order to serve Christ and not men, in order to humble ourselves, in order to make sure that we're pouring ourselves out, one of the things we have to constantly do, and this is going to be the, the game changer for you if you want to serve Christ and not men, is you're going to have to check your attitude. If you've ever been a child, 
or you've ever had children, you've either heard this phrase uttered by your parents or you've told it to your kids, you need to check your attitude. Usually you say that when you're at the store. Right? Because at home, there's a little wonkiness. But, like, you tell your kids all the time, you need to check your attitude. What do we mean by that? We mean you have, because we all have an attitude. Right? We typically use that in, like, a negative way. Like, let's be honest, sometimes I've got a tood. Right? But an attitude is, is a positive or a negative. So we tell our kids, check your attitude. What we're saying to them is, you've got the wrong attitude, you've got a bad attitude, you need to have a good attitude. I have to check my attitude all the time. And when I don't, I get myself into all sorts of trouble. But when I check that, and when I go, mm, and more clearly, it's not so much me just checking it, it's me responding to the Holy Spirit saying, check your attitude. And I go, I need to take a breath. I'm going to take a moment, take a breath, reflect, calm myself down. It's okay to give yourself an attitude check. I, um, I was talking to Julie a while ago, and I said, I think I'm going to approach the way I have conversations with people differently. Instead of going into a conversation with, here's all the things I want to tell you, like, here's all the ways you are making me angry, and there's a list. Like, I'm not huge into the Enneagram, but I wing eight hard, and that means I got a lot of problems with a lot of people, right? But what I realized was I need to change the way I interact with people. So instead of me being like, here's everything I feel like I need to tell you. Here's what I want you to understand about how this situation is affecting me. Instead, what I realized was, here's the thing that's most important for me to communicate to you about how I'm feeling or what's going on. And if I don't get to say the things that I feel are important to me, I don't care. As long as I communicate this, this, the essence of what's really going on here. And I've noticed wonderful things happening in my relationships and my conversations with people. One of them is I don't get to say all the things I want to say. Like I just don't because that's not the focus anymore because I, God has really been pushing me to have an attitude check on that. Like what's more important, you getting everything off your chest or moving towards a progressive, uh, or a proper and, and, and growing relationship that honors me in these situations? Now that only happens because the gospel is counter-cultural. Like any of these things, no matter what it is we're doing, the, the idea of checking our attitude in the first place all goes back to this root of us reflecting Jesus who emptied himself out and took the form of a servant and died on a cross for our sins. Like it all backs up to there. These are just the, the outflows and, and, and the things that come out of that beautiful moment in time. And it's great, because when we do that, we stand out. When we serve with the right attitude, we stand out in the world. Philippians goes on to say in 2.15 that when we adopt the attitude of Christ, when we live the way that we're supposed to live, when we seek him first, when we decide that we're going to serve God and not men, we shine like stars in a crooked generation. That's beautiful. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but the world's pretty broken. I usually read the news first thing in the morning. 
It's like one of the things I do, I've got my, everybody, we've all got our morning routine. I grab my coffee, I do a couple things, and I'm like, okay, time to check the news. Uh, reading the news, reading the news. And it's just, it, I feel like it's getting worse and worse all the time. Like, I don't even want to read it anymore. Like, I need to just so I can be up to date and whether I know we're at war with Russia or whether we're not, I don't even know anymore. Like, I need to know, I don't care about what happened in the Olympics just because I've never been big into the Olympics. Uh, World Cup should be soon. That's going to be exciting, but beyond that. But, like, we read the news and all of a sudden you go, wow, it's broken out there. And God says, yeah, it is. So what I want you to do is do everything as if you're serving me. And when you do this, when you adopt this attitude, you're going to shine like a star in a broken generation. Like, I mean, we all know those people, right, where we've met them. And no matter what's going on in your life, you can talk to this person. And you're like, oh, I feel so much better now. Like, they don't even have to say anything. They're just there. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, goodness, this feels so nice. Shelly, you know, uh, not everybody, but a lot of you know my friend Derek up in Knoxville, his wife Shelly, absolutely one of those people. You talk to her and you're like, that's okay now. Reese knows what I'm talking about. She, because Shelly's always trying to serve God in everything that she does. She's like, how can I serve Jesus today? How How can I serve him well? And the more she does that, the more she shines like a star in a broken world. And people are drawn to that. So that tells me that if we can start to do that, if we can better adopt that attitude and try to serve Christ and not people, then maybe we can be the people that we want to be where people are drawn to it. And people go, I don't, I don't fully understand what it is about you people, but I, but I like being around you. You make me feel good. <laughs> and it, I don't get the same attitude that I get from everywhere else. Like, we can be that, and all of a sudden, the church can be the church. I was at Starbucks yesterday, and they had this sign up, um, and I don't remember exactly what it said, but it was basically saying, like, you don't know the battles the person next to you is facing, so try to just be kind. And I'm like, Starbucks gets it? Like, and they just want to sell me coffee. What if the church really grabbed that? And, like, decided, this isn't just something I'm going to remember. This is something I'm going to stamp on my soul and change the way I do everything so that I can shine like a star in a broken generation. All you got to do, all you got to do once you have a relationship with Jesus is decide, I'm going to serve Jesus and not people. And then keep going back and checking that attitude. That's it. Like, so simple. Because if not, you're going to grumble, you're going to complain, you're going to compare, you're going to be frustrated, you're going to be aggravated. You're going to start to be like, I don't understand. Where am I going to get my fair shot? When am I going to get my turn? When am I going to, me, 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 me. But instead, we adopt the attitude of Jesus and say, I'm going to pour myself out. I'm going to empty myself out and choose to serve with an attitude that says, I'm serving God and not man. And then it doesn't matter, like Paul says, it doesn't matter what position in life you find yourself. You find yourself as one of the haves or one of the have-nots. You're going, it really doesn't matter. I've learned to be content in all situations. That's why Paul was content in all situations, because he realized, 
I know who I serve. I know why I'm here. I know what I'm doing. Then none of, it, none of the other stuff matters. It doesn't mean it's not real. Like it doesn't mean all of a sudden you do that and bills aren't real anymore. They're real. It doesn't mean taxes aren't real. They are real. I, uh, yeah. What it means, though, <laughs> my wife's laughing because she knows what I'm thinking. What it means is I can still do that. So, so what I was going to say is I have this unexpected tax bill because miscalculated, things didn't work out the way I thought they were going to. Apparently, the tax code changes all the time. Didn't understand some of that stuff, but that's okay. I have a decision I can make. I can look at my taxes and very easily lie. Like, there are some things I could easily lie about on my taxes and be like, well, they're never going to know. But am I serving Christ and not the world? Am I going to do that and be serving Christ the right way if I cheat on those taxes and, and kind of omit a few things to make my situation a little bit better? No, because then that violates me not serving God well. That violates me not serving my community well by paying the taxes that I'm owed to pay. So, like, I can easily do that and go, no, I'm serving Christ and not man. Doesn't mean I like this. Doesn't mean I agree with it. But this is my responsibility. This is what I do because I'm serving Jesus. So I want to pray. Um... I like prayer. And I get it. If you don't know me, uh, this is not my normal, fun, hippie, hippie, skippy, yippie, dance around kind of thing. But it's, it's the reality of the situation. What I want is for us to serve Jesus and not man. What I want is for us to have the right attitude. What I want is for us to care more about God getting glory than me getting mine and you getting yours. That's so much more important. Because I want to see a church set on fire with the truth of the gospel so that a world can see the accuracy and the reality of the gospel. I want my world to change, and I want your world to change, and I want those to keep bumping into each other until all of a sudden the world outside goes, wow, you shine like stars. So let me hang out with you so you can light up my life a little bit. So, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. I thank you that we can come together and just look at the reality of who you are. Jesus, you emptied yourself out completely. You poured yourself out, not caring about your own reputation or anything. You chose to come and die on a cross for us. I think there's some things that we could easily get rid of in our own lives. So Lord, I thank you for this day and I thank you for this time. Jesus, if there's anybody here who, who doesn't know you, I pray they would take this opportunity to get closer to you, to understand who you are. I thank you for your unending an unyielding love. 
Jesus, help us follow you into the darkness. Help us serve you and not people. Help us do all things as unto the Lord. And in doing so, we'll see everybody get it. We want you to be glorified, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen.